Hey everybody, what is up? What's up? RTT73, it rhymes. RTT73. Yes, and we're going to talk about Temptation. Ooh, everybody yeah. turn your turn your volume up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, put the headphones on. Yeah, that's right. Let's put the headphones Don't let on. Let anybody else hear. <laughs> uh, <laughs> if you're listening uh, at work. Um, yeah, Temptation uh, and through the uh, through the episode of Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. But um, just kind of wanted to start with, like, what do we think of when we think of temptation? Like when the word, when you hear the word, Somebody says, I'm facing temptation. Mm-hmm. Is there an assumed <laughs> meaning or context for that? I think so. I think uh, <laughs> whether it's um, whether it's from the, the Christian view or whether it's even the culture at large, uh, just secular world, it's uh, it almost always has a sexual connotation, yeah. I, I, I think. Yeah, uh, I think or, in our culture. I think that's right. Yeah, in the culture. Like when it's temptation, it's like it's going to be around some type of sexual temptation or, or food, maybe the secondary. Yeah. Food, you know, that's one that we, you know, um, you know, temptation dessert or whatever, uh, you know, uh, I think, uh, Tim Hawkins does this bit about dry going through the McDonald's drive through line and telling himself he's going to order a salad. He's going to order a salad and he gets to the speaker. <laughs> Double quarter pounder with extra large fries. <laughs> Splurts it out like he can't. <laughs> <laughs> he can't resist. That's a pretty uh, good one because who orders yeah. a salad at McDonald's? <laughs> right, What's, right, right. Yeah, and I think it's so. That's interesting. I think it's interesting in the and you know it says something about our culture and you know there's Temptation Island is some show that was on or I don't know is on was on I don't know maybe there's many versions of it but again the idea is that's an island with temptation and that's not temptation to, uh, you know, gossip or to be, you know, prideful. Uh, that's not what they mean. And that wouldn't be a really be good vain. show. <laughs> right. nope, nobody would watch that one. Nobody would watch that show. Bunch of angry people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that means something to us. I think that impacts us in some way. Like, so we want to guard against temptation. You know, the Lord's Prayer, lead me not into temptation, lead us not into temptation. Um, You know, do we think of other temptations? You know, do we think of pride? Do we think of bitterness? Do we think of gossip? Uh, And if not, I think we're likely to be sort of captured by them and actually sort of feel good or justified because uh, you know we have a reason to be bitter uh that person really hurt us or you know um my pride's been attacked so i want to act pride whatever like we have a justification uh for it and it makes sense to us we feel justified and so it's like we don't even really I'm not even really thinking about that when I'm thinking about temptation. The one that's actually probably hitting me square between the eyes on an an everyday basis, right? Well, I think, you know, because we reduce temptation to maybe one or two things, that becomes really problematic. Like, I do think our culture is, uh, the West anyways, is Mm hyper-sexualized. So music and movies, it's just, it's so sexual. Um, But 
when you think of even in a church world, like what tempts you, if we kind of reduce it down to like one or two things, it usually has two effects upon us. Like one, we over magnetize that thing and we become like almost associated with sin. The temptation was with sin, but it's not. The temptation is not to be tempted is not sin. So then you have a bunch of people like with all sorts of challenges around that thing. Um, yeah, or, so, so everything sexual becomes shameful. Right. Thank you. Everything sexual becomes shameful. Or uh, you start to say to yourself, well, I'm, I'm not really you know, struggling mm-hmm. with that. So I'm doing pretty good. And what you focus on determines what you miss. So then you start to miss all the things that may be actually really killing you. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's probably likely to be happening for all of us to some level. Right. Uh, and I think there's another aspect that we probably, and I think we'll probably come back to all of these as we, as we move along and look at how Jesus dealt with it is, um, that, you know, what I call the dirty little secret of temptation is that we don't really want to admit to ourselves is that the very nature of temptation is attractive, that we like it, mm-hmm. that there's like something I don't like doesn't tempt me. It sounds obvious, but I don't particularly like liver. So it's not like it doesn't tempt me. I can have <laughs> a lot of liver in the fridge and I wouldn't be tempted to eat it. I don't think midnight. I've ever eaten that. Ever. Haven't you? I, I don't, don't I think haven't. you're missing anything. I think you can go to your grave and <laughs> live a full life and not have, have tried it. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's my opinion. But um, it, you know, it's one of those acquired tastes, I guess. And I don't see the point of acquiring it. I, I guess is what I'd say. <laughs> you know, but um, so that that you know, like you said, um, temptation itself isn't necessarily a sin, and it, to to say that. I like this thing that tempts me feels wrong. Mm-hmm. And that's part of how we justify it though, is it makes me feel good to feel righteous and to condemn other people. Like mm-hmm. to act the Pharisee, the temptation to act a Pharisee is I can justify it a, and I like it. I mean, there's something about, there's a reason I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. It does something for me that I like. Uh, and I think that's part of like, I have to own that, like this thing that I'm tempted to do, I'm tempted to do it because I like it. It, it does something for me. It gives me something It, whatever. And that's really something I have to deal with. And that, I don't think you can really even deal with temptation really without like, okay, what is this thing doing for me? Why do I like it? Why am I drawn to it? I think this, this is a whole, you know, book or 10 podcast, but that's, to me, that's the key is to let temptation be your teacher, mm-hmm. so to speak. Like you're not going to be able to understand and overcome and, you know, resist uh, these, these words and, and actions that we're talking about, unless you understand, like, why is that tempting to me? Mm-hmm. Like what need am I trying to get met there? What, uh, you know, what about my story means that that's unique to my own story. And so that's, that's going to be my challenge. Like if you start to, I feel like sometimes we're so anxious around temptation that we don't start to trace it. Like you said, trace that down Mm -hmm. into, okay, but what's going on really? Right. You know, I I, like know a few people around here and they're, they come across very, very confident, but what it feels like is a deep seated fear of, not being enough 
And so they overcompensate. And I yeah. just wonder like, okay, like, unless you start to understand, oh no, I'm reacting to, you know, not feeling like I'm enough or I'm adequate or whatever, then you're never really going to be able to deal with the symptom. Right. And I think that's, you know, can we say, well, I'm tempted to believe that I'm not enough. Mm -hmm. And that's an actual, and, and there's reasons why, and that's not true and it's not good and I should face it and admit it. Uh, and, you know, look it in the eye and be honest about it. And because I think, and this is probably the punchline, and again, we'll come back to it is without doing all of that sort of hard, you know, admission, hard, honest truth to ourselves, there's no space for grace. Mm -hmm. Right. Because then I, I don't, I'm minimizing my need for grace when I, you know, like I need grace because I think I'm not enough. Uh, I need grace because I don't have faith. I need grace because, um, because I feel like I have to achieve to be good. I, you know, I, I need grace for all of these things. And unless I can really be honest with them, I'm not going to be a person of grace. And then I'm probably going to be condemning of other people because I'm, their sin looks bigger compared to my sin. Cause I'm not being honest about my sin or my temptation. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of a circle that keeps going. And, it's the natural pull towards being some sort of Pharisee um, and that we can be all sorts of different kind of Pharisees, but um, we can be sort of liberal Pharisees or conservative Pharisees or Orthodox Pharisees or heretical Pharisees or, mm -hmm. but whatever it is, we feel like we're the good, they're the bad. We can condemn them. We we're good by comparison. Do you think culturally that's, that's even if you took the religious terms out of, out of it, that's part of the, great temptation in our culture with the, the, you know, the, um, outrage and things yeah. going on. It's, it's, it's really, it's a pharisaical temptation of my way is the way of salvation. Um, so to put it in different mm -hmm. terms, and if, if you guys over there would just do it my way, it would save the country or it would save the right. blah, blah, blah. My way is the way, my way is the good way. Why was your way, way, therefore, is the bad way. So I'm good and you're bad. Mm -hmm. And that's a lot of our discussion culturally boiled down into <laughs> that. So it's what you think about sexuality or politics or any cultural issue. It's a tribal good, bad thing. Mm -hmm. A lot of that is just self-protective. And then I don't really have to, once I'm in the tribe, I don't have to be self-critical. I'll defend people in the tribe, even if I think, yeah, that's kind of stupid, but you know, they're one of us. I'm going to defend them. I'm going <laughs> to be critical of the people outside the tribe, even if though what they're saying kind of makes sense, but they're the bad people. So I can't agree with them. And on it goes. Uh, and I do think that's the, and I think, I do think all of that can happen and we're just sort of blind to it. And that's sort of, you know, where like, am I honest about what really tempts me and pulls me away? Um, so why don't we, Let's start, let's dive into this passage, Matthew 4, where Jesus is being tempted. I think we can maybe elaborate on some of these themes. Um, if this is after he was baptized, Matthew 4, starting in verse 1, that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if, you're, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but in every word that comes from the mouth of God. So 
um, I mean, we have probably a whole, and we talked about the incarnation, the whole idea that Jesus could be tempted is a part of the paradox of, you know, he was truly a man, but he's a guy. Could he really be tempted? Hebrews says he was tempted in all ways and yet without sin. So somehow we just have to go with, we don't know how it works, but he was tempted, right? Yeah, don't know how it works, so he's tempted. Um, I'm looking up in Mark. I can't find the same correlation, but the verb was led uh, is actually, I, I believe, it's ekbala, which is also used for the casting out of demons. So back to this like whole, like what we talked about last week of this divinity, like Jesus, mm-hmm. um, in some ways, example, not our example, like the spirit is, this is a necessary thing that Jesus has to do is go relive this wilderness thing or live this wilderness thing and be, and to be tempted. The spirit yeah. leads him and he's right. got to do this battle with the devil. Yeah. Leads him into the wilderness for the purpose of mm-hmm. being tempted. And it's mm-hmm. like, it's the spirit's purpose. It's God's purpose. It's part of the plan somehow yeah. for him to be tempted, which probably isn't typically our, you know, that we're probably not going to be led by, right. you know, the spirit into some place in order that we be tempted. Um, uh, so yeah. there's that, there's that whole thing. Uh, but then the nature of the temptation is if you are the son of God. So it's based on like, if it's, it's, it's a temptation to prove or establish the identity, prove you're the son of God to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and which he could have done, obviously. Yep. Uh, but the nature of the temptation is, you know, demonstrate your identity. Uh, and I think that's sort of like, if you want to translate that to us, there's all sorts of temptations that have to do with my identity, me establishing my identity, me reinforcing it, me living it out, me whatever, where I'm tempted to, um, and I do think that, you know, the pride or whatever is I have to think of myself as better and so I'm tempted to work hard and so on in order to uh, prove that I'm good, prove that I'm acceptable mm-hmm. or whatever, instead of, well, God says I'm acceptable. So I just, I need to rest it. I don't, there's nothing I can do to prove it. I should work hard for other reasons. Um and that's where I feel like this is sort of, there's nothing inherently wrong with turning stones to bread. Right. You know, Jesus didn't quote some scripture, you know, God says it's wrong to turn chosen to bread. It's, um, man should not live by bread alone. Uh, but, you know, that God has said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. He just said that however many days ago, and that's good enough. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what he's saying. I think that um, it's really not about it's not about me demonstrating or or proving something. I don't know what, what's your thought about that. Yeah, um, yeah, I think that's true. I think to me too, it's it has to do to me a little bit with uh, timing and intentionality. And like you said, it's not wrong for Jesus to turn stones into bread. But in this situation, it would have been. 
yeah. right? For the right. purpose of um, demonstrating that he demonst- is a son of God. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like you have to prove it. You have to demonstrate it. Um, why would you appease the tempter? You know, it's the tempter who's tempting. So why appease him? Um, you know, in a different in different settings, Jesus did do a miracle that uh, turned um, bread into more bread, right? Mm-hmm. Fish into more right. fish. So it's not that right. he didn't do miracles or do something like that. Right. Water it's, to wine, right? Uh, water to wine. What's going on now in this moment? And for me, part of the things with Jesus' temptation is is uh, timing. I think he's always cognizant of the timing of his timeline and unveiling who he is, how he's going to do it, what people expect of him. And he doesn't play to people's expectations. And I'm, I'm not saying that's exactly what's going on here, but, you know, remember water, to, water to wine, you know, woman, it's not my time. Mm-hmm. He's right. cognizant of who's asking what's going on. And he doesn't compromise his integrity or his identity for anyone else's expectations. Mm-hmm. Yes, I think that's right. And I think, um, again, I mean, I, I translate to me just to make a, you don't have to be an Enneagram person, but you know, I am an Enneagram three, mm-hmm. uh, which is, um, the achiever or in some, uh, different people, maybe the performer where I am. So I could, that, what that means is, um, for me, a coping mechanism was, to achieve, I need to achieve to demonstrate my worth. I need mm-hmm. to achieve so that people think well of me. Um, and so I relate to this in the sense that I'm tempted to believe I need to do good things in order to p- people to think I'm good uh, or to um, achieve things in order for people or myself to think I have worth. And I don't know that we normally think of temptation in this way but if you look at all the things that, especially in the New Testament, that are said about my identity, who I am in Christ, I'm tempted to not always believe them, mm-hmm. which leads to all sorts of problems. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. And that's one of that's an example of. I don't know that we normally think of that as temptation, but it's an ordinary, everyday, so kind of hidden, accepted. Uh, you know, almost justified temptation. Yeah, that we indulge in. Yeah, what to, what to some degree? What um, actions or behaviors or responses are coming out of my life because I don't believe that I'm fully loved and fully accepted? Because I don't believe that I'm forgiven, so I'm trying to assuage my guilt. Because I don't believe that I'm right. worthy. Right, right. And so right. I try to prove my right. worth and be really, really good. Right. Now, you know more, more about this than I do, but I, um, so I think the core, isn't the core sin of a Enneagram 3 deception? Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, deceit. And that, that makes sense because if I feel like I have to achieve to have value or worth, then I have, I'm going to be less than honest about the level of my achievement or the level of my performance or the level of my anything. Mm-hmm. Because I have to have it be high enough to have worth or to, you know, to think well of myself. That's part of like, I need you to believe I'm doing better than I'm doing so that I have worth in your eyes. So I have to 
not be fully honest about it. Like if it was our idea, I present it as my idea. Um, and again, I think those things are so subtle and, you know, it's so subtle and under the surface. We don't even think about that. Well, where yeah, I think that happens every day. Temptation 301, right? This is, that is the undercurrents and subtle and quick, quick um, maneuvers. Yes. Instantaneous in the moment. I don't even think about it. It's, and I think that's the part of uh, the temptation that it's, it's just sin is so much bigger uh, then we want to think it that's therefore temptation to sin is so much bigger than we want to think it is. Mm. Um, and I don't, you know, again, just focusing on one sort of sin as the only form of, as the only source of temptation, I think accomplishes, uh, a lot of bad things. A, it probably focuses us on that thing more mm-hmm. than we should. Mm-hmm. And right. B, it, we don't, you know, we ignore other things that we actually are daily, falling victim to and sort of daily justifying mm-hmm. feeling fine with. Um, okay. So that's maybe one, one little interchange and they all have, you know, these, this pattern, I guess there's three of them. The tempter says this and Jesus answered by uh, quoting scripture. Um, okay. Next, next, uh, uh, next one verses five through seven. Then the devil took him to the Holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple if you're the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him. It is also written. Do not put the Lord, your God to the test. Um, and it's, you know, I think devil's tricky, tricky little devil. <laughs> um, you know, so he, Oh, Jesus used, pass it. I'm going to use a passage of scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, that is a promise that, um, you know, God will p- provide some level of protection. Um, uh, and, uh, which obviously is true up until the point where the plan of redemption requires Jesus be beaten and killed. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like a blanket. I mean, all of these, and that's, an, that's something about the promises in the Bible. They all are somewhat contextual. And we have to figure out what the promise actually really is. Right. You know, that if somebody gave me that promise in scripture, I might be tempted to think nothing bad's going to happen to me. <laughs> cool. Right. 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 <laughs> well, obviously Jesus knew better than that. Um, so that's part of it. Uh, but it's also his answers. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Um. Yeah, that's interesting because it's, I think, is there a, is there an Adam and Eve thing going on here? Like very, very subtly, like, yeah. hey, if you are the son of God, but then his temptation is not necessarily aimed right at that with Jesus. It's more about like your relationship to the father. Like, right. yeah. can you trust right. it? Right, right. Do you really believe this promise God is making about you? Prove it. Yeah, did yeah, God really say it. don't yeah. eat? It almost that's feels right. like he's injecting doubt into the... That's right, totally. Or, or something. Yes. And so I wonder how that applies to us. I mean, it, what does it mean? What does the command, do not put the Lord your God to the test, mean for us and to us? And, uh, you know, do we require God to prove something to us? Um, 
and what does that look like? Mm. Um, what do you think? I tend to, the first things that came to my mind are, is, is just the overall word of trust, like trust, a, a, a very deep seated grounded trust, um, in God, but I, but I mean more when I say that, I mean that, that God is in control, that what I have right now is what I need, that where I am right now is where I'm supposed to be like those type of like deep seated trust and trust in such a way that means I don't have to take something for myself. I don't have to control something for myself. I don't have to be in charge from it. Like, I don't have to like act out to get power or mm -hmm. security, like that type of thing. Like it's mm -hmm. a trust that frees me from um, using whatever I have to, you know, control the world around me. Yeah. Right. And there's sort of, I mean, I can't, I think as you say that sort of the next level of that is we almost presume that God has made some sort of promise that nothing bad is going to happen to us. Right. So, um, it's, right for us to act out and do all these things to protect ourselves uh so we justify all of those actions and then when something bad inevitably does happen to us there's this hey you know i'm one of your children i'm one of your followers how how is it possible that these bad things are happening which is completely unscriptural but i do think that's we do put God to the test in ways in which we're probably not fully aware. Like if you really love me, nothing bad will happen to me. Uh, and I don't know. I mean, I just, as I've, I think it's subtle. I think to say that sounds obvious. I don't think we think, well, I, I know bad things will happen to me, but it's when they're, when you're in the midst of them, you, you know, to say, Hey, I don't understand this. God, uh, this is not what I think is good, um, but I'm going to trust you. And and then maybe five years later, later you see, okay, it wasn't that that bad was good, but there was some reason for that bad that got you to this place that, of redemption mm -hmm. that you can see, okay, God, God was, it was right to trust God through that time, even though it was not possible for me to see. And of course, other cases where we go to our graves, not exactly knowing not knowing why really. Hmm. Right. Yeah. And I think of Joe, I think of Job, the whole thing with Job of the presumption was, and Job's friends said, you know, if you're, if you're righteous and acceptable to God, none of these bad things would be happening to you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the book of Job ends and Job never really finds out. I mean, we don't really find out. We have more mm -hmm. information than Job, but, why exactly did all of that happen? I mean, maybe he gets to heaven and he has some sort of understanding of it all. Maybe he gets to heaven and it doesn't matter. I don't know. Um, but that's sort of like, I do think this sense of if God really loved me, this wouldn't be happening to me is something that's hard for us to shake. Now, I think it's a little tangential for me, but um, I think I can bring it back to temptation. One of the temptations I see with your Job story is that we're often tempted to um, to get the why and try to understand the why uh, and maybe mm -hmm. even make up the why because we yeah. desperately need the why. I, I, I just, have to make sense of it, right. I feel like that sometimes gets us into trouble when it's like, well, why did this happen? Oh, it's because of this. 
or, well, why is God doing that to you? Oh, it's because of this. I've rarely found good answers from people when they try to answer the why. <laughs> like, I, I don't know if you remember, I had a, a you know, um, there's a young guy in our, uh, one of our ministries and he had a, a tragic thing happen. Um, you know, a friend of his passed away. And after this time, partially because of that, you know, or partially related to that, he became a Christian. And I, I began talking about this in a sermon, you know, I don't think God gives us the why. And he said, I disagree with you that I became a Christian because this person passed away. And I said, well, I understand that, but you can't say that's why he died. Right. You can, it can be related, but it can't be the reason that this person mm -hmm. passed away was like, God doesn't need to take someone's life in order to make somebody a Christian, you see. So I've right. never really found great answers for the why explanation. Right. Yeah, because, it, it, you know, the, God can redeem a bad thing. It doesn't mean if the thing's not bad and he didn't necessarily cause a bad thing to happen. Um, and it, so part of that is just, you know, part of that is just our lack of understanding and the sense we put God to the test by um, by demanding an explanation. Uh, and what we then do, we, we make, we, we can't live with not having one. We sort of make one up. Mm -hmm. That sounds, this is why God did that. Mm -hmm. Right. And it, well, we don't know why God did that. And, yeah. and that part of it is we have to trust him and believe and we can't put him to the test by making him give us some why, uh, right. Right. like, you know, I don't even know what the test would be. I, you know, I won't believe in you unless I understand why or whatever. Um, and so I maybe do think the test, this... maybe the test is trying to force the why, like maybe yeah. that's the test, right. like God, you right. owe me an explanation. That's, yeah. I think that's right. I think we do think that. Um, and well, I, I, I want to make a point, but I almost feel like the next, the next passage maybe hits it even better. So the third, third temptation, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. So this is sort of the temptation. This is really the garden in a sense. This is the temptation to be God, but not really, mm -hmm. right? You know, yeah, isn't that what, you know, you will be like God if you eat the fruit. Um, and there's a certain tiny bit of truth there. You'll have a quality that you lack that God now has. Uh, but, you know, you won't be God at all. In fact, you'll be farther away from it. Um, and I think that's the sense that, you know, the devil saying you can rule uh, like God rules. Uh, but you have to worship me. Um, and so this temptation to pride, this independent uh, independence, this, this temptation to self focus, self-centered, selfish, me centered life. Um, and I do think that's enough. I mean, it's not like we can look at this temptation and we think, well, I don't have this temptation, but we do have this temptation, uh, because in a sense, Maybe the devil takes us to a high mountain and says, I will grant you control over your life uh, if you just worship me. And it, it's not really true. We don't really have control over our life, but we want to believe we do. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's the, you know, that we end up chasing other things for security 
for um, uh, affirmation for achievement or for whatever. So I don't know. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah. I can't get over the question for me of, I think these are actually powerful temptations to Jesus. Sometimes it's just hard for me to understand. It looks so obvious when you read the text, yeah. Satan says, Hey, bow down and worship me. And we're all like, well, obviously he's not going to do that. But right. I feel like there's more than we often know. Yeah. Like, well, I mean, he, yeah. he was actually tempted. I mean, that's what the scripture right. says. So, right. Yeah. So, so what is, what is that? Is it like you're, you're talking about this independence from God's will, this independent from submission to the father that's, mm -hmm. you know, I, I think that sounds, it, it may sound elementary, like I'll just do it on my own, but that's, I think that's a deep seated temptation to be an independent person apart from right. God's will. Right. And I think that's, um, you know, so Jesus looks at his life and he could say, okay, so over the, here's my choices over the next three years, I'll have some good experiences, but a lot of bad experiences and suffering, and then I'll be beaten and I'll die. Or I could maybe live for the next 30 or 40 years and rule over the world. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's, I think, how we often look at temptation. Now, somebody from the outside will see the obvious flaw in that. But isn't it always true that from the outside, you can look at somebody else's life and think, well, that's stupid. <laughs> yeah. Right? And that's easy yeah. to say to somebody else. Why'd you do that? Why'd you sleep with that woman? When you, you didn't, you, what did you think was going to happen in your exactly. life? You, know, you lost your marriage or whatever. Uh, so it's always easy from the outside when you're not the one being tempted. Um, but I do think part of part of the what Jesus is doing here is he knows like if that was all there was to it then then the temptation actually makes sense if i'm really only saying 3 years of relative suffering and then beaten and die or 40 years of ruling on the earth if that's really the choice mm. well then 40 years of ruling is obviously better but if this occurs in a much bigger story uh, that the life is purposeful and the death is purposeful and it acts love out and it redeems mankind. And then it follows, you know, <clears throat> being, you know, being God forever and reigning. Jesus knows the bigger picture. And I think we're told enough of the bigger picture. We should know the bigger picture too, where, yeah, this is actually seems like a good choice. You know, uh, I don't know what the, you know, what the direct corollary would be. Well, let's say if, you know, if you could rob a bank and knew you could get away with it and had $20 million for your life, you know, would you do it? Well, I mean, if you're just doing the math, it's obviously better. You're not going to jail. You have $20 million. Nobody gets hurt, whatever that means. Um, but in the bigger story, you're ruining your life. You're mm -hmm. sabotaging it, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's part of, you know, the, the temptation to be God for us or to take control of our life is the temptation to shrink the story down to something much smaller beyond that. Actually, it's better for us to say no to that temptation 
even if it, it was able to come true, uh, because it's better for me eternally to be a child of God than to act like a God on earth for my earthly lifetime. Right. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's like, we forget the big story. And I think that has to do with suffering and redemption, all of that stuff. We forget this bigger story. How does this make sense? How is, how can this be good? How can, well, in the bigger story, it might make sense. Yeah. But we don't, you know, that's a, it's the essential place of faith that God's way doesn't, isn't always going to seem better. Right. But it is better. Well, and that's where I think this last temptation, this last part here, kind of, I, I, I don't, it's not explicit, and I'm not saying it's even implicit, but you can almost make the connection with um, Jesus trusting in the goodness of God and the where the story is really supposed to go allowed him to, to submit and go to the cross. Right. This seems to jump over all that. Right. Let's go straight to power. There no need, there's no need to suffer. Let's go straight to comfort and reigning. There's no need to lose anything. And I think that is a temptation for us as, as well. To trust in the story means in this world you will have trouble. Rejoice when you're persecuted. Mm -hmm. um, like Peter says, don't repay uh, reviling for reviled. Don't take vengeance. Like if you're trusting in the larger story, then God's a yeah. God who brings okay. about justice in his own God time. will bring justice. That's right. Yeah. And yeah. that's his, it's right. his work. So, right. yeah, I think that's true. Yeah. And I think there's a, you know, implicit in there is the sense of that, you know, just even to skip over suffering to power, the power is way less than the actual power he'd get if he stayed mm -hmm. in the real story. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's the, you know, it's the false nature of temptation as you're never really getting what, you think you're getting it's like right. the it's like the witch and the lion witch in the wardrobe she she knew the magic enough but she didn't understand the deep magic right she she didn't know the big story to where yeah if she kills aslan it actually is her downfall not her victory yeah, yeah. um yeah um and so then uh, you know coming all the way back to you know it seems like we can say we face these temptations all the time in very various ways and we fall to them all the time in various ways and admitting that is admitting my need of grace beyond just a theoretical thing like i need to experience grace every day mm -hmm. because i fall to these in some sense every day and i think what if we're not people of grace partly it's it's because we don't think we're very big sinners and mm. we don't think we're right yeah that's good if we're not people of grace, we don't think we're very big sinners. That's where I think, you know, people, I, you know, I want to be more gracious. Well, part of that is I think, you know, I need to own how far short I fall and how much grace I receive. Yeah. And then it just follows from there because who am I? Who am I to condemn you? Right. Who am I to not give you grace? Because do I really understand that the amount of grace God's given me? Um, and I think that's the, it's the silver line. I mean, it sounds like a bummer. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like a bummer. Like, I'd just rather think I wasn't falling to all these temptations. That would be, that's, I'm tempted to be dishonest about the level of sin and temptation I'm experiencing because that feels better. When in reality, it is actually better to own it 
and then to seek God's grace and be transformed by the grace and become a person of grace. Hmm. Um, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's true. So I don't know what to leave you with. You're a filthy <laughs> sinner. You know? <laughs> yes, I, yes, Have a great I. week, filthy sinner. <laughs> you get the change, you filthy sinner. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, and, but I'm not filthy because Christ has made me clean. You know, that I behave in ways that are sinful. Uh, and bring pain and difficulty and destruction to me and other people. Uh, but if I remember who I am, I remember where I am in the story, uh, and I embrace the grace given to me, it means I must be honest about my sin and my, my temptation. Uh, and only in that way can I grace rather. So maybe we'll leave it with um, live in grace. Uh, not theoretical grace, but actual grace that you're getting and receiving this day, this week, this month, and then have grace for others. Uh, and so with that, we'll, we'll leave it grace and peace. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to Rogue Table Talks, a Calvary Church media productions podcast. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts.